Thank you very much. Here's the deal with this game this morning, though. There are only winners and there are only losers, right? It's great. It's the kind of game I love, right? So the idea is this. How many of you have ever played the word association game? Word association. Yeah, word association is really simple. I say a word to a group of people, a.k.a. you, right? And then you'll respond with a word uh, that comes to mind. So the idea is I might say hot and you would say Thank you very much. Now, here's the deal. Like, some of you who are really funny, and you're going to try to say some funny word, just go with the game, okay? Come say the first thing that really comes to your mind, right? Don't be the funny guy or girl. I want you to play the game. So we're going to play a word association game. Everybody clap because you're so excited. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so there are only winners and only losers. Uh, it's going to be really good. So here we go. I'm just going to name a few things. I'm not going to make this game last forever. Don't worry. There's a point behind this. Trust me. But word association, I'm going to say a word or a name or something, and you're going to respond, okay? So let's begin here. So I say salt. All right, fantastic. I say Georgia. Thank you. No tech there, right? Bulldogs, thank you, all right? I say mustard, you say? I say Batman, you say? I say Steve Hambrick, say good looking. So here we go. That's my name. So the idea of word associations is really, really simple. Like I, I say a word, I say a name, and you have an immediate response, right? And here's the deal. You honestly have, you play word association probably with yourself all the time because someone starts talking about something or someone and you automatically have an emotional thought or response in return, no matter what it may be. And so in the context of life, someone says someone's name and you immediately have a thought about them. And so this morning is, it's week four of Advent. It's week four of Advent. And as Randall said, we're focusing on this characteristic, this primary trait uh, of the Father. So we say God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead, right? We talk about the nature of God's love. And so the idea for us is very simple. When we talk about the word association game and we talk about word association, when we talk about God, we want our immediate response to be love. Like, we want to name the name God, the person of God, and we want to immediately have a word association with love. And this morning, as we're going to dive into to 1 John chapter 4 in a second, but, but it's really interesting. And, and here's the deal. I need you all to, here's the deal. I know Christmas is in a couple of days. I know right now some of your minds are just wandering different places. So I want to invite you to catch your mind from running. Okay. Like right now, I, have you, do you know where you just went? Like, do you know, like, do you, do you like, oh my gosh, Steve just caught me with my mind wandering, <laughs> right? Because we all do that all the time. And I want to invite you this morning to not wander because that's something very simple. When you read about the disciple John, if you were to take all of the disciples, And you were to to say, which disciple best understands the nature of God and associating his name with love? I would argue pretty strongly that it's John. If you've ever read through the Gospel of John, have you ever heard him describe himself or name himself? himself? He calls himself John, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Right? It almost sounds a little bit arrogant. Yeah, my name's John. I'm the one Jesus loves, right? But the idea is there was no arrogance or cockiness in it. It was simply what? A confidence in who he was and how God viewed him. 
Oh, I'm John. I'm the one. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Like, I don't know what was going on in the heart of John. Like, I don't know what was happening deep inside of him. But there was something lacking inside of the heart of John that when he got with Jesus, the love of God became so real that he changed how he would describe himself to let everybody know, I'm actually John, the disciple whom Jesus loves. It so wrecked him. It so challenged him. Pay attention, please, up here. Phones don't exist unless you're taking notes, okay? I'm going to say it all over again. I'm starting from the very beginning. Word association. I'm just kidding. No. I want you to hear this morning. There was something so palpable, so felt, so experienced, so tangible, and so real about the love of Jesus for John that it literally became the way he would describe himself. Hey, Sorty, what do you do for a living? I don't know, but I'm John and I'm loved by Jesus. That's my vocation. We just relate and love one another. You cannot miss this morning. So this morning we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. If you're looking for somewhere to start after Christmas or beginning today to read in the Bible because it's been a little bit of time, it's been a minute that you spent some time there, let me just lovingly and encourage, and encourage you and invite you to go read. You can read all the Johns if you want to, but start in 1 John. Because he so talks about this palpable, felt, real, tangible knowledge of God's love that you read and you're like, oh, I want that. I want that. And so, God is love. God equals love. Word association for John. Let's dive into 1 John, starting in verse, excuse me, chapter 4, verse, verses 7 through 11 this morning. It says this, verse 7. Dear friends, dear friends, John writing, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how, you see word association happening right here, right? Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. We might live through him. Keep on going. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Basically what it's saying is, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, then people find God and they see God. That's what it's saying. It's beautiful. It's powerful. So in these words, we see John proclaiming something, to be honest with you, that for me, I read it and go, he understands God's love far better than I do. I want to learn and I want to grow into some of the knowledge and some of this reality of what John understands about God's love. And so in these moments, we see John with two specific instances defining God as love. This is verse 8, whoever, whoever does not love does not know God because... God is love, word association, verse 16, God is love, and he continues on, right? God is known and defined in John's mind by this all-encompassing trait. And so three things this morning, lots of things I can say, but three points I want to make this morning that I want you to hear, I want you to listen to, I want you to grapple with, I want you to allow to sink into this morning. Number one, point one, we must 
understand love. Like you can't fully begin to embrace and engage something you don't understand, right? Like you can't talk about something and have in depth of knowledge about it unless you've given yourself to understanding. So I'm saying to you, it's a question you should be asking yourself. It's a point I'm making. You can't fully grasp something unless you understand it. So point number one, we, you, I must understand love. And verse 10, thankfully, tells us what love is. It says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, not that we initiated movement, not that we did anything, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so he's saying this, first and foremost, love begins with Jesus. It doesn't begin with you. It doesn't begin with you acting towards him. Love begins with Jesus. It begins with him. He is the source. And so if we're going to understand love, then we have to begin with Jesus. In the context of Scripture and understanding, we also have to begin within the context of your relationship. Love is not what you're doing, it's what he first did for you, right? And the second part of love is, is it's about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. It's what we see here, right? Love is not that we first did something, right? But that he moved forward and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. So don't get lost in the word atoning, atonement, right? Because you don't normally use that word. Just think of it this way. It's at-wanting, right? He's working to sacrifice himself so that we can be one with him. Atoning, becoming one. He is moving. He is acting. He is expressing sacrificially coming to earth. Why? So that you could be one with him. You could have a covenant marriage relationship with him. That's what he's doing here. So, so love begins with Jesus, and it's all about sacrifice. When, so, I don't know if you know this or not, but this uh, New Testament's written in Greek. And so, the word love in Greek, it's like used like five or six or seven different ways, right? You have eros, which is erotic love. You have uh, philo, whatever it is, like it's Philadelphia, that kind of idea of brotherly love. You, you have this idea here of agape love. So that when here in Greek, it's going to say agape, not love, it's say agape. And the idea is it helps us. It helps us understand and differentiate in Greek what John is saying. Because the idea here is that love is not an emotion, right? Love is not a feeling. The idea of love here in the Greek word agape here in chapter 4 is the most noble form of love. It's the most noble form. It is love of choice, regardless of emotions and feelings, right? It's the love of choice. What do I mean by that? Well, how many of you, you choose something because you feel like you want to love? But agape says, no, it's the love of choice, regardless, regardless of feelings or emotions. I'm choosing to give myself sacrificially to this person, whether I get anything in return or not. It's not about my feelings, it's not about what I get, it's about what I'm giving. And so the nature of authentic, biblical, Jesus love, if we're going to understand, is a noble love of choice. You're choosing, regardless of your feelings or emotions, that Jesus has for you, whether regardless of emotions or feelings, right? And he's choosing to give the best of himself to us. And in turn, we are to then agape and express the same type of sacrifice, love of choice for others, right? But in our culture, again, we have diminished love. 
We have diminished it, haven't we? Like, think about the songs that you sing, right? I don't care if it's like pop. I don't care if it's hip-hop. I don't care if it's rap. I don't care if it's country music, right? You get in, and what is love primarily describing? An emotion and a feeling that I can fall into and fall out of. And that's not love. It's a form of love. It's not the noble form of love. The noble biblical first John expression of love is something you can never fall into and fall out of. It is the love of choice and of sacrifice. And so this morning I want to I want to I want to just name a few different just characteristics of love. But let me say this real quick. Hear this. I'm going to name a few characteristics of love as an invitation. Hear this as an invitation for you than to dive into and find all of the other characteristics of the agape love of Jesus. I'm giving you a taste of it today so that you can go eat the whole bag of it, right? Right? It's going to be so good. You're like, oh my gosh, there has to be more to this love thing about agape that Steve's talking about. This can't be exhaustive. No, it's not. It's just the beginning, and I want to invite you then to dive into it even more richly and more deeply so you can begin to understand it for yourself. So here are just three primary characteristics of agape love among many, all right? Number one, agape love is expressed by faithfulness. Agape love is expressed by faithfulness. So if I said to you, I've been faithful in my marriage to Randall, my wife, did announcements, really good looking, right? It's a gift from the Lord. My only Christmas gift I ever need, babe, right? It's you. I did nothing wrong this morning. But it's the nature I've been faithful to. What do you know that to mean? It means I've never cheated on her. I've never turned away. I've been faithful to her as I committed in the covenant we made the day we got married. To be faithful to her as long as we both shall live in sickness and in health and forsaking, turning away from all others. So the nature of agape love is this expression of faithfulness. It represents the unchangeable nature of God. He is unchanging in his relationship to me. If he, he, he has been faithful, he says yes to me, and so he's unchanging. He is faithful, right? He is firm. He is consistent in the context of our relationship. Faithful. Israel, if you've read the Old Testament, you know for thousands and thousands of years, they had challenged their relationship with God by cheating on him, by worshiping other gods. You remember the stories, right? We'd come and worship other gods. They'd go worship idols. They were challenging. They were up and down, fickle and changing in their relationship. I'm so in love with you, God. Oh, and you're really pretty over here, Mr. Idol, right? It's the nature of the changing nature of humanity in the context of how we do agape love towards God. We don't do it very well. And But God is unchanging. He's not fickle. He's not like, I'm in love with you at camp and then not in love with you over here six months later. God doesn't have camp experiences and our love with him. It's just always the same. He's faithful and unchanging and committed. It's the nature of this, right? How many of you have read the story of Hosea? 
One of my least favorite books in all of the Bible. Who wants to be Hosea? Hey, I want you to understand this, the, the nature of how Israel cheats on me. Go marry a prostitute so you can understand what it's like for me every day. Man, that's, man, that's, not, that's not awesome, God. Is there a plan B if we understand this? Can I watch a movie or something to get it? <laughs> right? It's like, man, that's, that's, that's hard. Who wants to be a prophet and have to do that? But then, well, I want you to understand, like, I am unchanging. And it looks like Hosea is like, listen, you're going to marry her. She's been with all of your buddies. Sorry. All right? And then she's going to get married and have some kids. And then she's going to leave again and go back into prostitution. And you then are going to go take your hard-earned money. And you're going to excuse me naked, standing there right there for purchase as a slave. And you're going to purchase her back. Hosea, you're going to purchase her back and bring her back and act like nothing's happened because you are still, you've been faithful the entire time. She is still your wife, even in her prostitution, and you're going to bring her back and make her your own. Okay, that's easy. No, you know what it is? It's agape. It's agape. Man, mm, that's hard. That's so tough. It is. But it's the nature of love of God. You have to begin to understand towards us as humanity. I don't know, it's beautiful to me. The second thing is commitment, right? Commitment. We all understand commitment. We speak, we speak uh, in like a, an agreement or a pledge and a relationship, right? And then we stick with it. We stick with it. We make a commitment. We stick to a relationship. Hear this. Here, pay attention. Commitment is I stick to a I stick to this relationship that I'm in. When leaving is the easiest thing to do. You don't ever have listen. Commitment's super easy until it's not. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm super committed until it gets hard. Yeah, I'm committed. But commitment is when it when the going gets tough, I. Remember when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, drink my blood and eat my flesh, which is like total like this for any Jew, really any human being, let's be honest, right? But specifically for Jews, and then everybody leaves and they're disciples, and Jesus says, you're not going to leave too? It's like, no, no, no. We're committed to you, Jesus. You have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? Man, it's super, like everybody else left. It'd be much easier to follow the crowd and leave, but I'm going to stick with you. That's the nature of relationship, God with us. The third thing we see in this idea, what you need to know about agape, what you need to understand about God's love, is just the nature and the power of forgiveness. Like God is quick to forgive. Verse 10 tells us God sent his son, right? This is the good news of Jesus. God sent his son. As an at warning and atoning sacrifice to make us one with him for our sins. When did so the question we ask is well when did, when did Jesus come? After we had cleaned ourselves up and made ourselves ready for our marriage? Or did he come when I was in the middle of my sin in need of forgiveness? That's when he came. We know that. You're in the middle of your sin, you're imperfect, you are you are dirty. And God says, Perfect, my agape love, that's when I come. I come when you're at your dirtiest to forgive you. All you have to do is just turn 
and come to me and I'm going to embrace you while you still smell like trash. Forgiveness. As we come to God, as we receive forgiveness for sins, he forgives us and then he no longer looks at us through the lens of the sin we committed against him. He releases us from the guilt and the shame of our disobedience. You know, the saddest thing is when people come to church on Sunday morning is they come, they feel guilty and shameful. Like they're not, no one's going to receive them. Like people are looking down upon them. Like someone's judging them. Number one, don't be a judger. No one likes you. Right? Don't be a judger. Like, what did, the, what, what did, what did God, the prodigal father, represents God? What did he do when he saw his son from a distance? Man, he ran, embraced him. Become an embracer. Stop being a judger. Love people. Man, there's this power of forgiveness. It's beautiful and it's rich. One of my favorite stories I always go to and forget, and I've told it before, so if I told it to you like five times, just listen to it the sixth time as if you've never heard it, okay? And it's this story, this, there's this like prophetic guy who comes to a church and the night of this big gathering, he says, I'm going to tell you, I just want to be a blessing to all the pastors and their wives. And so he brings them on stage and he lines them, there's like four pastors and there's four pastors, four wives, a total of eight. At the very end is the lead pastor and the very the last person is going to be his wife. This is a true story, by the way. And so he comes up and he's just speaking things. He's been praying for them all day. He's just speaking words over them. Right? Just speaking words of love and of affection, kindness and encouragement, right? Just speaking words over them. And he goes to each person. Each person, I mean, he's just nailing them. Like, absolutely. And they're like, this weeping. He's like, oh my gosh, God loved me to speak to me. This is so beautiful, right? But the woman on the end, the spouse, like the, the spouse of the, of the Randall, right? The Randall up here, right? The, she's over here and it's like, and she's like freaking out. Why? Because she's got, there's this lack of forgiveness that she's received. She's living in this guilt and this shame from this, some grievous sin from her past that, that she's asked forgiveness for like a thousand times. And she's sitting there freaking out because she's hearing this voice saying, oh my gosh, she's going to expose my sin and this is going to, the people are going to be, that's going to be embarrassed and my, my husband, like he, people are going to look at him and think less of him because of me. And she's like, I, just gotta, I can't get out of here. She wants to run from this, she wants to run from stage. Like that'd be even worse, right? And so she sits there and all of a sudden he comes to her. This is a true story. This is made up. It's so cool. And he looks at her and goes, just ask the Lord what's going on with you. And he said that there's just some grievous sin from your past. That you just can't let go of. And I said, Lord, what is it? And the father said, I have no idea. Because he had forgiven her. And she just melted on the stage, like just weeping because God literally could not remember her sin. Because years ago, the first time he asked, he asked, he forgave her. Agape, the power and forgiveness. So we must, listen, we must, listen, we must dive into the theology of love. We have to understand how God views it. What do I mean, understand the theology of love? It's real simple. Theology means the study of God. That's all it means. You need to be giving yourself to studying God's traits 
of love and understand it because we can't receive something if we've never taken time to learn about it and allow it to graft in like a sponge, like we soak it into our lives. We must understand it so we can embrace it so it can change us. So our prayers on the screen, it's real simple. Jesus, awaken love in me. That's a prayer of petition, asking. It's a, it's a prayer of desire. God, because what you're saying is, God, I want you to awaken love. I, I want to know it better. Can I tell you all, honestly, pressing pause, like my real life? Since I was 27, this is a true story. Since I was 27, I had a, had a moment, this would be a coffee time story, I would tell you over coffee, I had, a, I had a two-hour ongoing conversation with the Lord while we were in India one time, 27 years old. One of those, like, <laughs> defining moments of my faith walk. And in it, God said, pray this every day. It was actually a song. All that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me. I heard God, literally, I heard God singing. I didn't verbally. Like I, just, like I knew the words. All that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me. And I want you to know that I have probably prayed, Jesus, all that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me probably a million times, literally, since I was 27. There have been seasons of my life I pray this 300 times a day. Why? Because, God, I'm just I'm so disconnected. I feel so distant. God. Just desire one thing. Like Psalm 27, David's like, one thing I've asked of the Lord, this shall I seek. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and gaze upon his beauty and meditate on his goodness. God, all that I desire is just one thing. I'll do anything else, God. Just awaken love inside of me. God, I want it for myself and I want to give it. God, I want to receive it and I want to give it. Literally probably a million times. I haven't counted it. That's a lot of counting, right? But it's like probably a million times. I recognize, God, I want to be like John. I want, God, I want this word association. I want to know it. The second thing is this, point two. Once we know it, we have to receive love. We then have to receive love, right? Once we understand love, we have to fight for receiving it. Receiving it is primary because you can't give something away unless you first received it. Like, you can't say to someone else, hey, go Steve, borrow Steve's car. It doesn't belong to you, right? But if I give you my car, if I go, Tom, my car belongs to you. He's like, great, thank you. Hey, do you want to borrow my car, guys? He can do that once he's received. You can't give something away that you haven't first received, right? So verse 19 clearly says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. I receive his love so that I can then give it away. Verse 11 is very, very similar, right? For us to give love away, we first have to receive it. So what you have to do here, this is pretty simple. We've got to spend some time thinking about this and praying into it. But you have to figure out, hear this, you have to figure out. Pay attention right here, no phones. You have to figure out. What's the thing keeping you from receiving love? Do you know? Like, what's the thing keeping you from love? Is it guilt and shame, like I mentioned earlier? 
You just live every day. It's like, I, I, God's forgiven me. He has a grip, but I can't forgive myself type moment. And you just live in that guilt and you live in that shame. And all you can do is think about the decision you made years ago that God's forgotten about. Do you live in the context of pride? Like, I just don't need, I don't need anything from God. I'm good. I can take care of all these things. I got enough money. I, whatever I need, I can make happen. Is it your pride? Let's be honest. Is it your busyness? Like, you can't receive from God and his love because, to be honest with you, you just don't make enough time to actually receive. Like, the Lord calls us to do things. The primary things he calls us to do is to sit and be still and just receive. Right? God's, like, could, could, can God hit a moving target with his love? Absolutely. But he primarily wants to, like, pour into you living waters of his love, which requires sitting and listening and being with him. Okay? We have to be those who receive love. One of the, honestly, probably one of the greatest tragedies, one of the greatest tragedies and all of the parables that, that Jesus ever told, one of the greatest, the greatest tragedies in all of the parables is the story of the elder brother. The elder brother was pharisaical, like most Christians in churches today who are judges by nature. They look at somebody and they judge them before they love them. Do you do that? Look at somebody and you think more about what they need to do versus how much you love them? Christians by nature compare themselves like, I'm better than them, right? That's just who we are. We're judges, primarily pharisaical. So he says, not in my opinion, nine out of ten of us in this room are primarily the elder brothers, not the prodigal son. In my opinion, the primary person in the story we learn from is the elder brother. Go read it for yourself. And the elder brother is this guy. Scripture tells us the elder brother literally, he always worked with the father, right? He always did work for him. He always served him, doing things for him, just doing what he was supposed to do, being a good son, right? Doing the right things all the time. He says, he says, I never disobeyed you. I always listened. I always made. I always did the right thing. And then the son says, and, and here's this son who's wasted every Everything that belongs to you, and he's wasted on prostitutes and worthlessness, and here he comes home, and you're killing the fattened calf for him, and I've done all of these things for you, I've served you, I've obeyed you, I've been the good son, and you haven't even given me a young goat to go and celebrate with my friends and have a party? And the father looks at him and says, son, heartbroken, don't you know? That you are always with me and past tense, everything that already belongs to me, including the fattened calf belongs to you. You could have killed it a long time ago. Do you not know that I love you and everything that I have belongs to you? Have you not learned and received? Heartbroken. Heartbroken. The elder brother. Sitting there. Having been given everything. And he's living under a spirit of poverty as if nothing belongs to him. See, you have to understand and know agape love and then figure out what's keeping you from receiving it and deal with it quickly so that God can then awaken you fully to what already past tense belonged to you in the fattened calf. The fattened calf belongs to you right now. 
The fattened, oh my gosh, that's so Jesus. That was not in my notes, man. The fattened calf belongs to you. I mean, you get excited, guys. The fattened calf belongs to you. The fullness of God already dwells with you richly. If he dwells inside of you, then he brought, he didn't listen, he didn't come and say, let me see if you can earn my riches. No, he came into you and everything that belonged to Jesus, he said, I can't just let it go. I'm going to bring it with me. And it's already residing in you. Oh, just get up and kill the fattened calf and celebrate the father. God. Let's just stop and have a massive Jesus party, right? It's there. It's present. It's real. Do not hear me. Do not let the voice of the enemy of condemnation tell you lies that you believe. God is so good, Jesus. Thank you. Here we go. Number three, point three. We, man, we got we to give love. Let me fix the microphone. We got to give love. We must give love. So John comes in in verse 7. He gives really the heartbeat behind the message. He's all right. Hey, dear friends. So we've received love, right? Let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves, we know that. We know they've been born of God, right? Because whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So the idea of, like, if you are expressing love, excuse me, if you're expressing love to people, you know God's inside of you. It's real simple, right? It's real, real simple. Just being a receiver, just absorbing from God is not enough. It keeps us from being who God created us to be. We have been created to receive, to, to bring in, so that we then intentionally, sacrificially, remember noble, agape love, we then choose to give it away. As a lifestyle, we receive and then we agape. We love by intentionally giving away to those that are in our lives. In the agape, do you know who it's supposed to go to? It's supposed to go to the people that you like and the people that you don't like. That's the nature of it. The nature of agape for Jesus. Hey, you're still in sin against me and being my harlot, but I'm going to choose to agape you. We have received agape love. It's a love of commitment, sacrifice, faithless forgiveness. Aware of what type of love we have received agape. John is making it clear that we are then to give away the same type of love that we've received. John is making it clear. You have to agape. Verse 8 says, now, this is powerful. Let me say this. You don't have to go read the Greek of this to figure out what Paul, excuse me, what John was trying to mean in this. He says, just read it for what it says. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. It's real simple. Whoever does not, not, whoever is not agapeing those who they like and don't like as a choice they're making intentionally every day to live committed, right? To be faithful in the moment, to forgive quickly, right? Well, then they don't know God. Because if God is in them, giving agape, then in turn we will agape by choosing to give love away. So, John's point is clear. How do we test how well we understand and how, listen, here's a little test for us to help you. How do we test how well we understand love and how well we receive love? Simple, by how well we are agaping people. It's real simple. How do we know that we understand and we receive? Well, then you're doing it for other people. 
That's why I'm praying all the time. God, awaken love inside of me. I'm doing a terrible job. Doing a terrible job. There's no other person at all. Don't want to love them at all. Don't want to sacrifice. Don't want to forgive. I just want to hold on to this. Live bitter my entire life. It feels much easier than releasing, forgiving, committing, and being faithful in the relationship. It's far easier just to walk away right now, God. So much easier. Woo, God, don't you see that? No, no, no. I want you to agape. I want you to turn the other cheek, right? I want you to walk the extra mile. Gets into the understanding of that full, more full picture of this commitment that God is calling us to make in the lives of people who are part of our lives. How well are you agape loving everyone else in your life? Let me answer it for you. Not well. Why? Because you're a human being like everybody. Why did I pray, God, Wanting a desire awake and love me every million times because I was doing a terrible job receiving it because I recognized I was doing a terrible job of showing and expressing it. This is awesome. So let's, let's get better at it. Let's take the season of Advent, a season of remembering how far we've fallen from God, a season of preparation. Let's live our life. Listen, Advent, remember, says a season of preparation, preparing ourselves. As if Jesus is returning tomorrow. That's what Advent's talking about. Advent has really nothing to do with the first coming of Jesus, except as a reminder if he came, then he'll come again. So let's prepare ourselves by learning about, receiving, and then giving love. That's what it's about. So if you look at Advent, right? All of these things, we must be honest about our understanding of love. How do we, how are we doing in understanding? We must be honest about our receiving of love. We must be honest about how well we are loving others. So, with that, take a deep breath, release it, and here's what we're going to do to end our time. I'm going to invite you, with everybody else in the room, to spend some time with Jesus. Right? And then we're going to go into some ministry time. Ministry team, don't come forward yet, because I want you to take some time with Jesus. I want you to receive, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Close your eyes. Don't touch the person next to you. Be kind to the person next to you and don't touch them, even as a joke. This is a sacred time. This is a time for this person with Jesus. And so we're sitting here, and I want you to know, each person here has gotten an invitation from Jesus to come and to slow down and be with him right now. He can't wait, right? He's the loving, product, he's the loving father who just wants to be with you. There's no guilt. There's no shame in this. And I want you just before the Lord, I, I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about it. I want you to focus on, to meditate. In God's presence, I want you to look at something. I want you to look at agape with Jesus and just say, how am I doing with agape, Jesus? How am I doing with agape? How am I doing it understanding and receiving it? Just take a moment for the Lord and just be honest before the Lord about how you're doing in these areas.
As you're quiet with the Lord, I just want you to be aware of like what are you, what level of invitation do you feel? Like do you feel shame and guilt as if you just you just can't come in? Do you feel completely numb as if you really really just don't care? Does it feel super foreign? You're like, man, this whole God thing, man, this is weird. And the love part, man, it's kind of crazy. Does it feel invitation? Like, oh my gosh, this is like drinking water in my deep thirst. Just be honest with the Lord about how you feel in the moment. Just being aware of what's going on in your heart and your mind. Just saying, thank you, Lord, for the invitation. Or, God, I'm struggling with this. Or, God, are you even real? Just have that conversation with him for a minute. I believe the Lord would say to someone just that, that um, the nature of forgiveness is it does require our movement to turn away from something, to turn towards Him. And once we turn towards Him, right, there's the, He washes us. But it does require us turning from where we've been going and turning back to Jesus. I want to give this person a minute. So if that's you this morning, you recognize there needs to be that turning, what we call repentance. I want to invite you to turn back to the Lord this morning. So let's just give these people space this morning to be honest and turn back to him. And just an ending in this time, I just invite you to pray the prayer that God gave me years ago. If you have something similar that you pray, I just invite you to pray your prayer. But just say to the Lord, all that I desire is just one thing. Jesus, awaken love in me. Just begin to ask the Lord to do this work. Just tell him where you are. Tell him about to remind him of your commitment. And just say, Jesus, awaken love. Some theologians say that in 1 Corinthians, talking, excuse me, in Galatians, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, that love is like an umbrella and that joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are all an expression of the love of God. And that may be true, but either way, it's a beautiful picture to say, God, are, this is a great sign to say, are these things present in my life? And so we, when you see these things, then we know that God has begun to awaken love inside of us. So let's just begin to say, Jesus, all that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love. And as we begin to pray this prayer, just begin to, almost as if God is 
kind of dropping, just building and building and building his love. Whenever I pray this, I just imagine God just pouring out and pouring and pouring and pouring. It's like building inside of me his grace and his mercy. And so just take a moment and pray this before the Lord and experience his his movement in your life. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to go to the time of ministry now. Aaron, you can go ahead and come. And uh, here's my invitation. Um, just real simple. For those of you in shame and guilt, let the power of what Christmas is all about actually break into your heart. Jesus came because he wanted to make you one with him. The at wanting, the atoning sacrifice. Just say, God, I release guilt and shame. It is not from you. Forgive yourself and move forward and let him just overwhelm you. Our ministry times are very simple. We've been to vintage. We, take a, we do offering. These are our baskets. We have a little box back there on your way out. You just give us the Lord leads. This is... Again, part of the act of worship for us. You're not earning anything from God. You're not showing, not even showing him, hey, make, showing him anything other than I just want to obey and thank you for what you've given me by giving back to you. Communion is available every Sunday. Why? Because we celebrate the coming of Jesus and the dying of Jesus and the resurrecting of Jesus. Not because it's something great in history, but because as we celebrate it, it comes alive inside of us again because it's true and powerful in our lives today. And the ministry teams will be on both sides. Why? Because we just believe in the power of prayer, of praying for those that are in need. And we want to love on our people, so let's just pray for our people while they're here so there's going to be a breakthrough this morning. And so ministry teams, why don't you go ahead and come forward now so they can see your lovely faces. And we pray, Father, as we come into this time of worship... We just say, Jesus, have your way in us. Would you make this a beautiful Christmas because of what you've done of awakening us to something we've never known before in the context of understanding, receiving, expressing your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Here's the response of the Lord. Please, you want to stay in your prayer time with the Lord?